Dominique Ruiz. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Of course. Can you talk about this beautiful guitar that you have here? Yes, I can. What is the story behind it? I'm glad it? you like it. Ooh, let's turn on the lights. It has LED lights, so we might wow. as well. So basically, this is a custom Horizon guitar. My friend Brian Fox made it for me. He's out in New York. Okay. And so the body is actually a vintage Kramer Voyager body uh -huh. from the 80s. So it's, you know, got this cool, long, pointed thing. Yep. And then we put in all gold hardware with the gold Floyd Rose. Uh-huh. Custom pickups from Seymour Duncan, LEDs, and a custom um, neck. Yeah, the fretboard is really cool. We have jumbo uh -huh. frets, and um, we have a kill switch, which is you know always fun. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a really awesome guitar to play, especially if you want to rock. So, are you primarily like? Did you grow up like a metal player? Because I see the Floyd Rose. <laughs> That's why I asked. Yeah, I, I love that question. The irony is, I actually started on classical guitar. Which I know a lot of people say um, metal has his roots in. Definitely. So um, I I wouldn't say I played metal growing up. So I actually yeah I started on classical um, in middle school. I also loved a lot of like classic rock. I would say the hardest metal that I really listened to was Metallica. Okay. But. Um, I was the only one who had a parent who played guitar. So both of my parents actually, they met in a band and they both play guitar. Okay. And so all of the boys in my class were like, hey, we want to learn this Nirvana song or hey, we want to learn this Metallica song. And I would ask my dad to teach it to me and I would come to school the next day and I would teach all of the boys in the class, you know, How whatever song. rock song. <laughs> yeah. So I was like the resident guitar teacher. But it was so fun. One of the kids, you know, he played bass, another played drums. So we didn't have an official band but we would just jam on whatever you know modern rock classic rock like we loved all anything with guitar really yeah 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 well it's it's a, a really this color it's like a neon lime green yes so did you have a choice over what color it I, was i did he actually mailed me color swatches just to make sure it was the perfect color because i really wanted it to be bright and neon and something fun that would show up on stage you know okay and what's going on with this dinosaur over here yes, you a dinosaur the dragon. fan this is, well, oh it's a dragon it's a dragon that okay. plays guitar his name is marvin okay yeah and i just i so originally when i was looking at dragon designs you know there's some really cool ones i'm a big like game of thrones fan i actually read the books when i was 10 years old because i love science fiction and i love fantasy so love all things that I've always wanted a pet dragon, hey, if you can ever find one, <laughs> you know. Um, but, yeah, so originally I was looking for, you know, more more Game of Thrones, a little bit more serious dragons. And then I was like, you know what? There's there's not that much space on this guitar, yeah. you know, because of the sharp angle. So I was like, I think I'm just going to do, like, a fun cartoon one instead. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's like definitely happy. fun. He's just happy, right? He's like, I'm playing guitar, and yeah. I'm happy because I'm playing guitar. And I was like, you know what? That inspires me to be happy when I'm playing guitar, right? So has this been your dream instrument that you've always wanted? Yes. Like yes. the, the these kind of specs, the Floyd Rose, yes. the pickup configuration. Because you were talking, frets, yeah. You were talking about the um, 
the pickup configuration. What were you saying about that earlier? Yeah, so with the pickup configuration, they're all humbuckers, and one is an active pickup, which means that there's a battery in here. So I have is two it batteries. Nine volt? It's a nine volt. So we have one battery for the LED lights and one battery for the pickup. Uh-huh. And so um, basically, it's just a very, very heavy sound. Oh, and the cool thing is, so most pickups, like if you have a Fender guitar or Gibson, you switch through the pickup, so you can have a combination of the bridge and the neck or you can sure. have a combination right well this you can have all three on all three off you can have any configuration that you want so it's different than a traditional you know fender gibson guitar and when i was creating the guitar you know i spoke with brian and he said usually when you do a custom guitar basically you're just picking the color and the pickups sometimes the wood of the neck, you know, if you yeah. want maple or rosewood. And that's about it. And that's really cool. That's still a really cool guitar. Yeah. But there were so many different aspects that this I wanted truly to combine. Customized. I was like, I want this like really cool, you know, a different shape for the body. And I want, you know, I have to have 24 frets because I want that extra E note, you yeah. know. And I was like, I want the Floyd Rose. And I said, I have a bunch of guitars that I love and they're really great. But all of them are just, you know, missing a couple of things that then this other one has and this other one has and I keep switching and so yeah. this one truly has everything that I need and I dreamed about and it's awesome yeah I've been thinking about building um a base and yeah. just buying all the pieces to it yeah. and what I've kind of decided when I do it it would be definitely p-base pickups p-base mm -hmm. body mm -hmm. j-base neck rosewood fingerboard mm -hmm. but i like those vintage style jazz bass necks mm -hmm. i used to own a 65 jazz bass wow okay cool that i had to sell when i moved to nashville oh. the, the, the sad old story Sorry. i had to pay my rent yeah, um but honestly i'm not a jazz bass guy okay i couldn't I, I don't really care for their tone okay but that bass came into my life and uh like i'm exclusively like a flat wound player now okay and it was because of that bass Wow. So that bass came with flat wounds on it. When I got that bass, uh -huh. I bought it for two hundred and fifty dollars uh -huh. from the music center in my hometown of Brunswick, Maine. Okay. It was like the little shop downtown. Yes. Whatever you picture like a, a quaint New England town to be, that's what it was. Okay. But I got this bass. It was in horrible, horrible shape when I got it. Yeah. Cosmetically. Yeah. Sounded great. Yeah. Felt great. Yeah. Um, but it had those uh flat wounds on there yeah and i didn't even know flat wounds were a thing right so i started playing it and i'm like this is weird what is this and the guy was like those are flat wounds and um i was broke at the time i was like 19 when i got this bass <laughs> yeah. and uh i was like i'm just gonna keep these strings on here right now because i don't have the 20 dollars to go and get <laughs> a new set of bass strings yep. or the 30 dollars to get the yep. strings i actually wanted yeah um but after a month of waiting, finally went and got some round wounds, put them on there, played them for a day or two, and then I was like, I actually like flat wounds more. And wow. I've been a flat wound player ever since. I have a P bass upstairs. Yeah. That, that's my main bass. Wow. Um, and that is a, a 62 reissue. It's a made in Japan. Yeah. Which the, the, the Japanese made stuff is phenomenal. It's yeah. so good. Yeah, it's yeah. It parallels, in my opinion, some of the American made instruments. Yeah. But um, yeah, it's it's a, a fantastic bass. But long story short, what I ended up doing was I was working. I lived in Colorado for a little while. I mm -hmm. worked at Wildwood Guitars. Okay, if you know Wildwood. Yeah, I do. Um, so I have like a close relationship with them. Worked there for a year. Smoked way too much weed. <laughs> uh, and then 
the fender rep was always in and out mm. so i was like hey i have this bass and i really want to restore it so he's like send me the next stamp it's like next stamp was january 7th 65 which was like a couple of months before leo fender sold to cbs so uh-huh. it was a pre-cbs base wow. um so he sent me the decal for it and um i also got it refinished in mm-hmm. a nitro finish mm-hmm. sonic blue so this base to the left of us here, this is in Daphne Blue. Yes. So it's very similar to Sonic Blue. Yeah. Um, but Sonic Blue is a little bit more baby blue. Right. Um, but yeah, uh, so I would want to do my custom base. I would want it to be shell pink with wow. a matching headstock. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I'd like to do. I'm excited for you when yeah. you build this dream base. Yeah, it's, it's going to happen eventually. Yeah. Because really now, like, I have a great P base. Yeah. Like, I've never really been the kind of musician that wants to own a lot of music, uh, like, instruments. Yeah. I have at certain points in my life, for sure. Right. But um, when I do, I don't really play them, and I don't like owning something that I don't really play. Totally. Just got this. I play this down on Broadway. Yes. It's good for recording as well. Cool. Mustangs are fantastic. Guitar players love Mustangs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I got that. I have the P-Bass upstairs, and I have the upright upstairs. Right. Really, the only thing now I need is is just a, a something with P bass pickups and a jazz bass snack. Wow! Yeah, so it's gonna be awesome. Yeah, yeah. Eventually, I'll do it. I'm uh, I'm a little bit of of a nerd when it comes to bass stuff. I'm sure as you can tell. I think that's amazing, though. Yeah, you, I mean, it's so you're great a guitar when nerd, you're so you yeah an expert at your craft and you know what you want. And you try different things. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I, maybe one day I'll be an expert. <laughs> I always think I'm I'm only uh. Like, you've heard of the, the 10,000 hour rule with Malcolm mm-hmm. Gladwell, right? Yep. Okay. So I always tell myself I'm on hour, like, 9,999. Yeah. You know, you, you're, you're so close to uh, to finally hitting that number, but <laughs> it's always out of reach. Yeah. But it keeps me driven, you know? Yeah, yeah. So. It's amazing. Well, my guitar teacher always says, you know, if you want to be a professional musician, you should just put in the same amount of hours that anyone else puts into their profession, which is, you know, an eight hour day. Yeah. And of course, it's really challenging if you have a day job, right? Yeah. Or if you're not making a full time living, you mm-hmm. know, um, but he's amazing. And it's like, you know, he had to do it while working at Taco Bell or you know playing dive bars or whatever yeah. and putting in the all time of the above. And yeah i mean i think we've all had to do that right yeah. you know what's the craziest job that you've had to have supporting yourself while oh man music? okay so i could <laughs> i could go on a on a, a long tangent okay. i would probably say uh honestly when i worked at these apartments as a leasing agent really yeah, it was it was super greasy was it what made it greasy well i i was basically i was a property manager a landlord okay. At, okay. At, at, at like a slum apartment okay and, and it, it's don't get me wrong it's a business at the end of the day of course it's a business yeah they got to make money mm-hmm. but i um my second week on the job like i was one of the only males that were there mm-hmm. so whenever there was some bullshit going down like mm-hmm. i had to evict people i had to do shit like that mm-hmm. like unpleasant shit mm-hmm. it always got pawned off to me because mm-hmm. it's like taylor's the guy he's mm-hmm. got to go do it um were you good at that were you actually good i'm not saying you enjoyed it no i i wouldn't say i was i was i guess good at just being like having no emotion about it okay um but uh in the moment 
yeah. not showing the emotion, but there were some yeah. times where I had to do fucked up shit that I didn't morally agree with. Like and what? Evicting people. Like sometimes oh. people like, there was shit that was going on in their life where it's yeah. a human situation and I understand. Yeah. I understand, yeah. but the company doesn't. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And there's nothing you can do in those situations. So yeah. I just didn't like that. Yeah. There was a bunch of other shit that happened. It was just gross. I- I'll tell you about it after. <laughs> um, I've talked about it a ton on the podcast, but uh, there's no reason to, to rehash it for okay. the millionth time. You got but, me thinking about, I'm like, is, is there drug deals going on? Or um, is the mafia part of this? What's going on? Was this in Maine? Does no, Maine this was some- in Nashville. Oh, whoa. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was in yeah, Nashville. Yeah, we're going to have to discuss this. Yeah. Wow, the oh. under, the seedy underbelly Yeah, it was it was super seedy. Um, wow. But yeah, it was, a, it was a growing experience. Okay. Because I think for for me, I learned about uh, the the parts of myself that I didn't really like mm-hmm. that of things that I was good at, mm-hmm. like the the fact of having no emotion, having to evict someone. You know, yeah. that part is within me, whatever that ugly thing is. But yeah. um, it's not something that I want to be. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. It's like you have to know, you have to learn what your dark side is in order to not go there you should Mm. like the way i see it like we all have a light side and a dark side yeah it's it's the human condition there's the yin and the yang that exists inside every one of us Mm -hmm. but we have to we have to understand what that darkness is and like i I always think of it as your dark side's like a weapon and a weapon should only really ever be used in self-defense and i think for a long time i had these natural skills or whatever of being able to drop the hammer on people and kind of stun them in the moment and Mm -hmm. just get my way Mm -hmm. um and yes that is a skill but it's also you like there's very few instances instances in life where you actually need to drop the hammer Mm -hmm. and like just verbally try and overpower someone to win an argument or to get your way you catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. Yeah. That was probably one of the biggest lessons that I've learned. Mm-hmm. So That's a great lesson. Yeah. I feel like that's like the opposite of my strangest job. I was a Disney princess, not for Disneyland because I'm too tall. You have to be 5'6", so I'm way overqualified in height. Um, but here in Nashville, actually, for children's birthday parties. Really? Yes. I did. Um, yeah, I was Ariel. I was Cinderella. I was Tinkerbell. And I love Disney, and I grew up singing all of the songs. I actually used to play them on piano, not guitar, ironically, but I had you know piano sheet music, so uh-huh. I know all of them. So it's actually a really fun job just to get to dress up and sing. It's almost like what I do now, except I'm just not singing Disney songs. Yeah. But it's almost, I think, the opposite of your job, where it's like you're seeing kind of the dark side of the world. Oh, and, yeah. You know, some, some tragic human conditions. I was seeing, you know, kids are just so happy and joyful, and especially when they believe that you really are Tinkerbell and they don't you they're so young they don't know the line between you know fantasy yeah and like real a life. three-year-old they or don't a four-year-old know. Yeah. and so you totally go into the role and it's like it's a really cool thing and it's like well it's not technically you know music and it's not technically what I moved here to do but you know I was like as far as day jobs go that was actually a really fun one I bet you yeah. were making little kids dreams come true yeah like little really girls fun. at their birthday party would yeah. they just flip the fuck out when you walked in I mean they were they were excited yeah did they ever get yeah. shitty with you was there ever like little kids no. who was like that you're no. not really that person no 
No? No. No. I mean, you know, the older ones, I think, know that yeah. you're dressing up. But yeah, no, yeah. they were all they were all so sweet. I know. No, I would say I had a lot crazier experiences as a Lyft slash Uber driver. That was definitely so, a little bit more rowdy. I did know? that for four years. Yes. So I, what is your craziest Uber? I did it for three years. Yeah, Lyft story. <laughs> you go first. I want to hear yours. <sighs> okay. I would say the one that stuck with me the most that I, I still think about sometimes. Yeah. And this is, I think, a good story. Okay. Um, did they throw up in your car? No, but <laughs> I mean, I did have people puke in my car. Oh, no. Yeah. Did you, did you ever have anyone puke I in your car? I always pulled them over. I, we always made it to the side of the road or a gas station or whatever before. So I don't know how I got that lucky. but I always let them puke because I knew I was about to get paid. Yeah, but then you have to stop driving. And you do, but terrible. whatever your money is for the day. I always had it happen to where it was yeah. either at, right at the beginning of a yeah. shift or right okay. at the end of a shift. Yeah. So it was like most of the time I ended up doubling my money if someone was puking in my car. Okay, that's fair. Um, <laughs> okay, so but, not that though. Yeah, yeah. So I would say the, the ride that stuck with me the most, I was driving late. This is probably like a Tuesday night, maybe, or a Wednesday night. This was a lift ride. And like you're super familiar with Nashville. You said you've been here for a while. Mm-hmm. Okay. You know this the uh the shell station that's off sixty five in Brentwood, like yep. old Hickory Boulevard. Yep. There's a Wendy's over there yep. and a hotel. Yep. So um I got a request. It was this dude who was in Colorado. He was like, Hey, you're picking up my brother. Just to let you know, you're taking him to rehab. He's drunk. He just had his car stolen and he can't call the cops because they'll know he was drunk driving. And even though he got his car stolen, he will be taken to jail. Wow. Yeah. So he didn't have his phone. He didn't have his wallet, everything. He was just shit pissed drunk driving um, on a weeknight and had gone into the gas station to get more beer realized he left his wallet in his car turned out walked out there his car was gone because someone saw that he was drunk and knew that he couldn't get reported and just took the opportunity to steal his fucking car um so it was also one of those nights in nashville where it was just piss and rain sideways um so i pick him up i'm talking to him he's telling me his life story and um, we drive 40 minutes in the rain to this rehab. We finally get there. He doesn't want to go in. Him and his brother are arguing over my like Bluetooth in my car. Yeah. Like back and forth. He's like, fuck this place. I don't want to go. Take me to this place in Franklin. Um, and he's like, I'll go to rehab, but I won't go here. Um, and so eventually we drive back 40 minutes the other direction and I do drop him off. And I called his brother after him. Like, hey, I got him in. He's good. I, I watched him with my own eyes walk in. But he was the kind of drunk where, you know, and I've been this drunk before, um, where you're just kind of miserable and you don't want to be drunk anymore. Mm-hmm. He was that level of drunk. Mm-hmm. But I could tell that was every night for this guy. Wow. Um, and you could hear just like the pain in his voice. Like he, he said, he was like, I want to get sober. I don't want to do this anymore. I, I don't want to be drunk anymore. But um, yeah, I think about him. 
And I think a lot of people would have not probably tolerated that, but I knew in that instance that that family in general needed help that night. Mm -hmm. Like they, this was the one thing they needed to go right for them because they were already having a very bad fucking night. Because it's like, yeah, I'm paying for my brother to go to rehab. I'm paying for his lift. And I imagine this man, this 40-year-old man, he probably was on this cycle of shame and despair if he he has a drinking problem. Yeah. You know, and he was nice to me. We didn't really, there was no issues. He wasn't belligerent or anything like that. He just seemed like a person that honestly needed help. So Mm -hmm. I, I hope, I hope that he got help. I hope he's sober today. I I want to believe in my heart that he is. Oh, and you were part of that. Yeah. Yeah. That must be what Amy Winehouse wrote the song about. That's yeah. all I can think of. Yeah. You try to make me go to rehab. Yeah, exactly. And I said, no, no, no. I always thought that was like not a joke song necessarily, but I was like, hmm, I wonder what she was thinking about and like going through when she wrote that. Oh, yeah. You know, now we know. Yeah. Yeah. Now it was know. probably a, a similar uh, similar situation to that. Yeah. But what about you? What was your craziest Uber and Lyft oh, ride? Oh, gosh. Nothing really <laughs> as crazy as you. I feel like, honestly, most of them were pretty fun. You know, there's so many cool tourists that come to Nashville. Yeah. And so many people who just want tips on, like, which restaurants to go to and which bars yeah. and shopping and everything else. And I feel like the most fun times I had were just, you know, taking people through the Taco Bell drive through at 2 or 3 a.m. And, the, of course, they would find out I was a musician and they would say, sing for us you know and so that was always so fun i'd play them my music on spotify or i just sing to them yeah. i let them you know basically like carpool karaoke and um yeah it was actually a great time i made so many fucking people follow me on instagram before yeah. they got out of my car yeah. i use it as grassroots marketing for the for the That's podcast amazing. yeah and if you are listening today and you are <laughs> one of the uber slash lyft riders thank you Yes. I feel so appreciative of my time as right? as a rideshare driver. Yeah. It was truly fantastic. Yeah. Like to kind of what you were saying, just meeting so many different people. All the tourists are so excited to be in Nashville. So They've heard about it. I took it very seriously because it's like most of the time, like if you're picking someone up from the airport, mm-hmm. where we are one of the first interactions that they're going to have with someone from the city. Absolutely. So it was like, I always try to be positive. I mean, some people are just dicks, but there's nothing you can do about that. <laughs> it's like, I, I got really good at reading a room yeah. from being an Uber driver. Like, yes. yes. you know, instantly what kind of day someone is having. Yeah. As soon as they get into the car and they shut that door behind them. Did you try to guess what kind of music they would like? You know what? I honestly didn't give a fuck. I just, I played the music that I wanted to play or I would listen to podcasts. So I did not give a shit, but I was a five-star driver. Wow. Yeah. Five stars? Yeah, I'm a five-star man, just like Dennis Reynolds. Five stars? Nothing knocked off? I don't think so. Wow, no, I'm lower than you. I was like 4.8. Yeah, yeah. I was I was five on both. Wow. But yeah, it was. <laughs> I should have been playing podcasts. Apparently. Yeah. I I just I never cared. Like I I would obviously like I would make sure nothing was like inappropriate. Yeah. Of course. Uh, or anything like that. But it's like I'm working right now. I'm gonna show you anywhere you want to. I'm gonna take you anywhere you want to go in the city. I'm gonna yeah. tell you all the best spots. Yes. But. Most people, I would say that the one thing, the only time that I really felt violated was one time 
a guy took off his shoes and he stretched out in the back seat and took a nap. Okay. Take taking a back seat or taking a nap in the back seat didn't bother me. It was mm-hmm. the fact that he took off his shoes that bothered me. Okay. I feel like that's a a barrier that I don't want to cross with a stranger. I feel the same way on an airplane too. I don't like it when people take off their shoes on an airplane. I mean, I had a guy actually try to kiss me oh, who was God. a passenger. So Jesus. I would say Did you that. punch him in the throat? Um, I didn't. I j- he was just really really drunk, like blackout drunk and his friends put him in the front seat, you know. And it was kind of it was New Year's and I was really tired. I'd been driving for 10 hours. Oh yeah. Already, I did those so, shifts. Right. So it's kind of at the point where, you know, uh, very sober and not tired, exhausted, just, you know, you're like emotionally you're, you're, tired. Your neck from, and shoulders Exactly, hurt. it's more your of a physical yeah. exhaustion. And so you're just not totally in your right mind to be dealing with situations yeah. like that. And you're kind of just like, no, this isn't happening. And, you know, yeah. So um, I luckily just got him to his house, his destination. And, you know, I just, I had to actually push him out of the car. Did you report <laughs> his ass? I didn't. I know. My friend asked me after. He was like, why didn't you report him? And I was like, because all I wanted to do was stop driving and go home. Yeah. So I just like turned off the app and I just wanted to go home and go to sleep and yeah. forget about it. You know? Yeah. I'm, so. I'm sorry that happened. That is well, an okay. uncomfortable situation. No one no one ever tried to kiss me. Yeah. Well, it's funny because um, I'm tall, right? I'm 5'10". So normally I'm like, oh, it's okay. And like I have pepper spray and whatever. But this guy was like 6'5". And like yeah. he was like a linebacker. And I was like, oh, man, it was like a physical fight. Well, it's a. Uh, I feel like too. It's a different story trying to do Uber and Lyft when you're a woman. It's yeah. just a different set of circumstances. Yes, it is. Oh yeah, guys, all the time, <laughs> bachelor parties. I would drive them to the strip club, and they would say, "Oh, come inside." And I was like, "Oh, thank you so much for the offer, but I'm I'm actually still working right now. <laughs> I understand you're just trying to be friendly with this, you know, strip club invitation. A, I wouldn't have gone anyway, and B, <laughs> I am working. Yeah, you know, so you get. But it's like you're saying. And they're just in Nashville to have a good time and they don't totally understand the rules. And hey, maybe sometime, you know, maybe a fun Uber driver would do it. So, you know. Yeah, I, I think people come to Nashville a lot with uh, a Vegas mentality. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. What happens in Nashville stays in Nashville. Yes. yes. When we recently, um, a couple weeks ago, we had on uh, Caroline West. She does this podcast called Broadway Girls. Mm-hmm. But she does uh, on the spot like street interviews. That's and amazing. One of her videos went viral. Um, maybe you've seen it on TikTok. It's of this couple getting interviewed, and basically they get busted that they're both like married and they're there to cheat. <sighs> um, but that that's kind of like to me like I I wonder how many times I've been in a uh, a situation like that with with Uber and Lyft. I, I probably gave like close to 10,000 rides mm-hmm. where there was just some fuck shit happening and I would have no idea. Yeah. I was definitely used as a drug mule before. Do- <laughs> you know, now that you say that, I don't know if I ever was. I just know one time, like you're saying, Broadway's definitely crazy. Um, this guy got in my car and he was like, hi, I know there's a lot of blood on my shirt, but I promise it's not my blood. 
Oh, God, <laughs> Jesus Christ. And you're like, okay. And it was St. Patrick's Day. And, you know, there was a fight. And he explained it. I mean, according to him, you know, there's just a fight next to him. So I'm guessing was, it wasn't his he fault. He was adjacent. Yeah, he said it wasn't his fault. He was yeah. just, you know. Wh- I mean, to be fair, I definitely, I'm sure you've played shows on Broadway where people just break oh, out yeah. in fights right next to you, next to the stage, whatever. People are drunk. People are rowdy. Yeah. And you're like, hey, guys, we're all just trying to have a good time here. Kumbaya. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's definitely an interesting situation because I I feel like now I, I've been in Nashville for for coming up on a decade. Wow, well, yeah. And um, I've done like so many different things in the city now. Mm-hmm. Like when I first moved here, another job that I had, I worked for uh, like a day labor company. And okay. when I started out, I was just like working in the stands at the concession stand at Nissan Stadium. <gasps> Yeah. Wow. Um, so I did that. Eventually, like, I earned their respect and became a manager. Um, and my job then was to basically just sign people in and sign people out and then, like, bust people if they were drinking on the job or other shit like that. Because it happened. the drug mules. Uh, See, so you have a good n- n- eye for this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I've done. It's, it's insane. But, um, yeah, so it's just, like, working – on that side of things, I've done the uh, the like the stagehand shit, which yeah. I honestly did not fuck with that. I will go on record to say this, and Danny, you can back me up. Th- this I feel like the stagehand shit in Nashville. There's one company in particular. Mm-hmm. I think you know the one I'm thinking of. I do. They hire exclusively drug addicts and degenerates. Wow. So um, it's just like. I didn't really like working that because it okay. it felt for me like it was all the ego of the music business and music industry, mm-hmm. but it's like you're just doing physical labor and doing shit. So I never understood that side of things. Mm. You know what I mean? Wow. It was fucked. I didn't like it. <laughs> didn't like that job. I did not like it, but I liked working in the concession stands. I was cool with that. Okay. it's a good one. Um. But yeah, between being like behind the scenes, being an Uber driver, working in the concession stands, playing down on Broadway. I was going to say, how does all of it compare to to playing on Broadway to you? So I've never gone full time on Broadway. I've always been more of just gigs in general of a fill in. Um, So my first choice is always going to be playing music, you Mm -hmm. know, Um, in whatever capacity. It's better than than anything. Yeah. But um. I like playing on Broadway. It is fun. It's fun to play with the tourists that are into it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, being a dude, it's a little bit of a different circumstance. Why is that? Well, I feel like, again, with the, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas mentality. There's a lot of women that come to Broadway and they're just looking... To get laid, they're not looking for like a husband. Is this like the Morgan Wallen song? No, I'm well. I mean, it's it's true though. Like, like I I mean, I I don't see I don't see the side to it. Yeah, this is yeah. So I I imagine you know, of course, there's like there is with dudes that come to Nashville. It's it's just the party scene in general. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, they don't talk to me because I have the presence of a serial killer, anyways. (laughs) 
Uh, it's always the other dudes. You're playing the bass. Yeah, so I play the bass. But um, I'm going to be talking to you. Yeah. I, well, here's the thing. I'm okay. very standoffish at gigs. I don't really like interacting with people. I'm just, okay. I feel like it's such a job. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm just okay. trying to be in the zone. And you're not going to be like Bruce Springsteen where you're like, you know, bring no. Courtney Cox on stage and no. other people to dance. Um, and... may, maybe, honestly, maybe that's a, a muscle I need to flex more. Yeah. Like, But I feel like I'm very just like stone-faced i'm in the zone interesting how about you how do you feel playing down on broadway oh well so you have to remember i come from uh california and specifically los angeles where um i was trying to play gigs and everything in la is pay to play and so it's really, really hard to get gigs there if you don't have a following or if you don't have, you know, $500 to buy, you know, $20, $30 tickets or whatever that math really is. Mm -hmm. You know, but basically, like, if, if you don't have a following to sell tickets and you can't afford to buy all the tickets yourself, you know, I knew some people who could afford to do that. But I, you know, I was like, I barely have the money for gas to get there and to pay for parking when I do. So I, you know, called all these places. I tried playing all over L.A. And I actually ended up becoming a street performer in Santa Monica. Okay. Um, because you could just play on the street <laughs> and you didn't have to worry about selling tickets. And it was a great opportunity to be able to play, you know, covers and originals and just test stuff out. Um, and uh, definitely a little bit more chill than the Nashville downtown scene. But you're still getting a lot of tourists who are there because it's the beach or it's the promenade. So it's shopping and um, a little bit. I did get tipped in drugs a couple of times, Hell which yeah. was strange. <laughs> I was just like, does anyone else want these? I also got tipped in Starbucks, though. I would get people would buy them. They would say, hey, do you want anything from Starbucks? And they would get me tea. And that was always hey, a Starbucks is, is expensive. I know, especially when you're a musician yeah, and yeah. a college student. Like I said, you just have absolutely no money, you know. So just I think coming from doing that, which I mean, that was fun. I liked being able to do that. But when I moved to Nashville, I was just so excited that you could A, play for free instead of having to pay to play. And then B, you know, the next step of playing on Broadway, I just, I thought it was amazing. And yeah, I think you could get paid, you know, you could get paid. And I just have, I know some people get tired of playing the same songs over and over, but I just have so much respect for all of these, you know, songwriters, musicians, bands who wrote these songs that have these catalogs that have stood the test of time. Like to me, that's so cool. And I love all the same songs that the tourists love. Yeah. So I've always had a really fun time doing it. And I find too that the audience is really forgiving. So it's just been such a fun place. So I, I never did it full time either, but I used to play every Friday and Saturday. So some was, you know, the brunch scene, some the happy hour scene, some rooftop acoustic gigs, some sure. full band night, you know, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. So kind of the full the, spectrum, all, all of the different types of shifts out. Honestly, I played at almost every bar <laughs> down there. And uh, yeah, I just feel like I always had a great time because I felt like the audience was so into it and they were always so happy to let you take risks, you know, which at like other Absolutely. shows you it's really hard to take a risk. You know, you want to be on your game. You want to be prepared, rehearsed. Um, and so I think the, the cool thing about Broadway is you can take requests that you've never sang before. You can sing, you know, I can rap an 
Eminem song and just yeah. see how it goes. I can sing Alanis Morissette or Etta James and try something that's maybe a little bit out of my comfort zone. You know, do the Freebird guitar solo, you know, yeah. just all these sorts of things that normally you're like, well, maybe I wouldn't put that in my show if I only have a 30 or 45 minute, you know, original music set or you're playing a festival or something else. And I uh -huh. feel like. And again, like we were talking about, I love interacting with people. I love bringing people up on stage. You know, I love getting in the crowd and interacting with them. Like I had a wireless so I could, you know, move around. And mm -hmm. I just think it's super fun. So, yeah. Yeah, it is nice on those nights that you really like the band is locked in and yeah. you feel like you're grooving and the audience is into yeah. it. Um, You're gonna ask how many times I played for zero people except for the bartender, and it's a hundred degrees and yeah. the AC is broken. Yes. I've done that. I've done it too. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I know there's those nights too. Yeah, so I know for sure. they're not all perfect. <laughs> no, no, absolutely. But you know what? It's like yeah. the way I see it. It's better than driving for Uber or Lyft. Yeah, for sure. Like, and, and sure. at the end of it, it's like. Because uh, I always had people ask me, like, oh, where can we find you at? Like, where can – are you playing mm -hmm. this weekend? And if mm -hmm. I was, I would tell them, like, hey, go totally. go check me out here. But um, mainly back then when I was an Uber driver, I was playing mostly over in East Nashville. Okay, yeah. So it was more of the, like, original music scene. Yeah. So, like, I would say – what Danny, he owns Eat Sleep Rock Nashville. That's his company. Awesome. He books a lot of shows. Yeah. But we have, like, a little scene – um, that I would say like the reveal and a couple other bands are a part of mm -hmm. and we all kind of trade players for the most part. Cool. It's like a kind of like a revolving door. Yeah. Um, so it's been such a great experience on, on that front too. I, I super like love the East Nashville scene because yeah. where I came up in, in Nashville, like found my way. That's so cool. Yeah. Uh, but the way I got started, so the way I met Dusty and Josh was mm -hmm. from playing at Blues Jams. There yeah. used to be a Blues Jam over um, on Tuesday nights at the country, which is now the local, yep. over by Vanderbilt. Yep. Do you know the Blues Jam I'm talking about? Yes, I do. You, do you know Kara? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Kara's a, a good friend of mine. She's oh, fantastic. Yeah. But th that was the first stage I got on in Nashville, and it was because of Kara. And the blues jam. So also jam. when I moved here, I used to do the blues jams um, at Carol Ann's. Yep, and on then, Murfreesboro Pike. Yep, and then the Printer's Alley one too. Okay. And then there uh, there was another Tuesday night one that was it's country one at Fiddle and Steel. But basically just every jam that I could go to, I went to. And every open mic for songwriters, I went to. Yeah. You know, I would literally just look on Google. I would ask around people, you know, ask on social media, see where other people were playing. Mm -hmm. I did the Bluebird, you know, open mic, the Monday one. Yeah. And so I feel like that's one of the coolest things. And like, that honestly, sells out. I know. Well, yeah. that's, that's a crazy one. You know, but honestly, there's just so many opportunities to play here. It's so cool. I mean, that's a big reason why I wanted to move here instead of staying in L.A. You know, I actually was doing a jam in Los Angeles. I was at Musicians Institute, and that's over, you know, Sunset Strip area, Hollywood. And it was NAM time. So all of these Nashville musicians were in L.A. for NAM, which I know, you know, technically it's in Anaheim. So it's a little ways away. But, hey, they were on you know Sunset Strip for the night. 
And um, gosh, just there was guitarist after guitarist after guitarist that played and they were all, they just blew my mind. They were phenomenal. And I went and I could tell they were friends. I went up to the group of them and I said, you know, where are you guys from? Do you live in LA? And they said, no, we're in Nashville. Like you should come there. And I was like, that was it. The seed was planted. And so, you know, I, I bet it's a lot cheaper than LA too. And uh, not anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> not anymore. I Originally. Yeah. yeah originally. But. No, I think they're they're both pretty comparable now. <laughs> the traffic is better actually in in Nashville. That's still not as bad as LA. Yeah. Although we're getting there. Where Nashville is growing a lot. It's crazy. Yeah, it is. Well, it's like I moved here in 2015, like right at the end of the summer. Yeah. And it was already starting to pop off. Mm-hmm. Like it was it was underway. Mm-hmm. But it seems somewhere like around 2017 or 2018 For it sure. just got insane yeah. here. And like it became yeah a brand of its own in an mm-hmm. industry of its own, like the, the tourism industry. And so much of that, it comes from the bars down on Broadway. And then from there, well, why are the bars there? Because of the musicians. I thought you were going to say because of what happens in Nashville stays in Nashville. Well, you know, <laughs> there's something to be said for that as well. Yeah. No, it's, it's so true, though. I mean, really, where else can you go in the world that just has a street of bars where every bar has three bands, which is crazy. You have your base level, your middle level, and your rooftop level. And you, and I mean, obviously, it's more than just Broadway, right? Because we were talking about there's Printer's Alley, there's the there's a bunch room, of different scenes. There's literally in the Ryman, right, yeah. where you can go see very famous people. I mean. There's just so many different things down there. And I mean, I've played shows in London. You know, I'm from the Bay Area, so San Francisco, been in LA, been to Chicago, been to New York. I've been to a lot of different, been to Hong Kong, but I've never seen another city. And this is why they call it Music City. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not another place. There's amazing music at different cities, but not all on one street like that. And that was my other favorite thing when I moved to Nashville. I remember in LA, it was so hard to go see your friends play gigs because a there's so much traffic and everything is really far away and b if you have two friends playing on one night you know one might be playing in silver lake or north hollywood and one might be playing in santa monica and it might take you two hours you know to get from one to the other and here in nashville i remember when i first moved here i moved here without ever having visited i didn't know a soul i didn't have any money (laughs) i didn't have a place to live it was crazy i just packed my car and went because i just i had to come here to do music it was just my dream and um so I lived in a a very sketchy house you know with six other people and no running water and as you said earlier that someone had been evicted from the room that I was in before but I guess he still had the key and he was a crazy person that might have come back and I don't know it wasn't Dustin was it (laughs) you know not to my (laughs) knowledge but you know it's a it's a really weird situation and yet I was so excited to be able to go to different things and just go from show to show to show because like I said not even just on Broadway but we have Midtown and Broadway and East Nashville and I could just go see five shows in one night if I wanted and soak up the music and network and meet people and it was a really cool thing. Have you been to First Bank Amphitheater for a show yet? No, no I haven't. I know it's like one of the only places I haven't been. I just went to one this week. Okay. So I saw John Fogarty. Me, wow. and, me and my dad went. My dad, wow. so it, it, it is a incredible venue. Yeah. If you get the chance to go, yeah. go. Um, but yeah, so First Bank Amphitheater, you have to walk like a really long way to get there. Okay. 
and then you get there and it's kind of like in the middle of this rock quarry mm-hmm. um so there's the all these rocks are surrounding you and sonically it sounds amazing yeah um and there's all these trees and like it was really cool to see john fogarty in that way because it's like between songs there was just crickets Wow. Like you could hear the crickets and the nature and all that. Wow. Um, so it felt the right way to hear like those CCR songs. Yeah, yeah. But it was cool. It was wow. incredible. Me and my dad were up in the bleachers. So towards the back, yeah. not a bad seat in the house. Yeah. Um, it's a great uh, when we were leaving. I always leave before the encore happens because I want to get the fuck out of there. Yeah. I don't want to sit in traffic. Yeah. Yeah. But um, when we were leaving, we actually went down in the bowl and like it was crazy how loud it was mm-hmm. actually there Mm -hmm. but um yeah i I got kind of emotional seeing it uh seeing john fogarty because um i grew up like my entire childhood we we would always do these like cross-country trips we would do road trips Mm -hmm. and my dad would always play ccr and his his 60th birthday is next month so i kind of like last minute bought tickets and i said hey this will be for your birthday happy birthday so it was something that we got to do together felt really special ccr is probably my favorite at they're my favorite american rock band of all time that's awesome yeah that's really cool who is your favorite american rock band of all time specifically american Um, specifically american wow um I don't know if I could name just one, but I guess I'm probably gonna have to go with the Foo Fighters. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I'm gonna. I'm. There's so many great ones. Yeah. Right. There's so many. I would say also Guns and Roses. Guns and Roses. Guns nice. and Roses. Yeah, that would be the classic one. But Foo Fighters, it was just like I mean, especially because Dave Grohl, Nirvana, yeah. you know, big one as well. Mm-hmm. I just, I think too. Be, not that I'm a drummer. I play drums, but. <laughs> not that not very well but i just always wanted to write songs like dave grawl and i just everlong is one of my favorite songs and i was just like he is a brilliant songwriter you know that's what i want to do when i grow up mm-hmm. <laughs> i love his uh his signature es335 that he has yes yeah. With that weird headstock, because Gibsons don't usually have that kind of headstock. Yeah. Plus, I think the actual, like, color, the, the name that Gibson calls is, like, yeah. Pelham Blue. Yeah. Um, But there's going to be another signature model release soon, but it's going to be Epiphone. An really? Epiphone version of it. That makes sense. He was recently seen playing one, like, photographed yeah. with one that said Epiphone on it. Yeah. So I'm willing to bet they're probably going to do a limited run of that, and then... Yeah. Tom DeLonge from Blink-182, he just released... I just saw that. Yeah. Yeah, so I know I know those are going crazy. But yeah, yeah. Um, Dave Grohl is incredible. Yeah. What's your favorite Foo Fighters album? Ooh, my favorite album? Yeah. Um, well, I want to call it the blue one. It's the one that Everlong is on. The Color and like, Shape? Yeah, the Color and Shape. I was yeah. like, it's the Color and Something. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Monkey Wrench is on that one too, right? Monkey Wrench is also yeah. on that one. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah. I would say for me, it's probably Wasting Light is my, my favorite okay. one. Okay, that's a good one. Yeah, it is. I feel like for me, it's just like, well, A, they had Butch Vig producing. Right. So there was, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was that Nirvana connection. They recorded the whole thing to tape at Dave yeah. Grohl's house. Yeah. Like I like the story of it too. Me too. Um, but yeah, I love uh, that song "White Lemo." The yes. and then there's a uh, bridge burning. I think is the first first track on uh, "Wasting Light." Yeah, yeah. Are you familiar with that album? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I like Sonic Highways a little better, but uh, really, 
That's a good one, too. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting you say that. So, Sonic Highways, I always felt... I love the concept of it. Yeah. I always felt like it was a little creatively disjointed, though. I could see it, but some of like their best like jam tracks that show... Like how divert like yeah. everyone knows Dave Grohl can write a good rock song, but do you know the song like Outside? No. That song has like a real trippy, like kind of long, like solo with like a lot of delay, and you just don't hear a lot of shit like that from Dave Grohl. Like you don't hear yeah. trippy acid rock stuff from him. It's yeah, it's a lot more like heavy hitting rock. Stuff. Yeah, have you ever seen the um, YouTube video about uh, how Dave Grohl writes his songs? He's like, here's how to write a hit song. No. Uh-uh. Oh, it's amazing. He, and he's so funny, right? And uh, he says, basically, you just take something that could be a bumper sticker. I think the example that he uses is like, keep trucking along, you know. And then he was like, you just, you know, make it easy to sing like a stadium anthem. Like, keep trucking, trucking along, gotta keep trucking. I mean, that's definitely not the way he's seen it. <laughs> yeah, it's so I get interesting what you're saying, to watch. Yeah. And definitely, if you're interested in how he writes songs, yeah, check out that video because it's so funny. You're like, he just makes writing hit songs look so easy yeah. <laughs> you know you're just like oh and i love his concept too of like hey if you want to you know be a musician you want to be a rock band like just start a garage band like you don't need any money you don't need any fancy equipment like you're saying the epiphone thing you don't need an expensive guitar no. you know you you don't need anything but like love of music and will to play and i think that's so so cool and so so true you know it's really it's a really really cool thing yeah, I think that that's what is kind of beautiful about that teenage dream of playing music. I, mm-hmm. And it still exists in me. There's there's a for better or for worse, there's still a part of me that's that 15-year-old kid yeah. who's just fucking excited about music. You Definitely know what I mean? Definitely for better. Yeah. Definitely well, for better. Yeah. Yeah, for better for the most part. But uh <laughs> But yeah, I think uh, there's that romantic kind of ideal, and it's easy to get away from that, especially when you're living in a place where it's like you're trying to get ahead, you're trying to have a career, you're trying to do this. You have to make money and you know feed yourself. Absolutely, live somewhere. I mean, you could live on the street, but you know you're trying. We know someone who who has who has done that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, cheering, you know, couch surfing. Like I said, I've lived some very sketchy places. I know so many people who've lived in trailers or I mean friends houses yeah. like you know i think musicians do a lot just to get Keep by playing. you know yeah i i was always grateful i think that i didn't have a lot because then i didn't know what it was to go without something right it's like i didn't have to lose anything so i was like well i'm used to living in again very tiny apartments oh there's no running water oh that's fine you know oh i don't know how i'm gonna get food that's fine you know oh i'm just eating cans of tuna you know or whatever this week or bananas and eggs i remember you know discussions with songwriter friends of what are the cheapest foods that we could possibly get from like the grocery market or wherever else so like we can just survive week to week you know and it never 
it never bothered me because I wasn't used to being a rich kid, right? So I was just, it's like you're saying, it's like, well, we're getting to play music and yeah. this is awesome. But Keeping I mean, the dream alive. Yeah. But I mean, I think as I'm sure you're familiar with, or hopefully you're not, but then there's definitely some of those dark days too where you, you know, you get kicked out of a band or fired from a gig or, you know, something you don't get, you audition for something Go and for, you don't yeah. get it. And, you know, or hey, you're just trying to. You have your day job, you're driving, and then you're also playing, and you're so tired, Normal and you've gotten lifestyle. three hours of sleep for the past three days. And you're like, wait, why am I doing this again? You know, and I feel very grateful that every time I've been in one of those situations, I feel like, honestly, like a band or a musician or a songwriter has inspired me to keep going. Like there's been these really cool life moments where I remember, and this is so silly right and you'll laugh right because you're a bass player but you still use pedals right so like I mentioned I grew up playing classical guitar so even when I played electric I didn't have any pedals like I just plugged my electric guitar which was a Mexican Strat it was very cheap it was the classic classic it was two hundred dollars right but for me that was expensive for my family you know that was ex- so I, know I exactly felt like I had the Cadillac of yeah guitar. I felt like it was a really you nice had that fancy. fender on the headstock oh yes I did yeah you know, I that's didn't what know counts. that it was yeah. Mexican and not you know I thought my parents were like this is really nice and I was like it is really nice it was, it was called midnight wine was the color so oh you know, nice okay. I just thought that was a cool name and yeah. you know to me it was everything but like I said I just plugged in direct and it was either distortion or not (laughs) that was it those were my two tones you know (laughs) clean or regular but I didn't know about pedals so when I started trying to perform my original songs and when I put a band together in LA I could not step on the pedals and sing at the same time just like to turn you know things on and off like the boost for a solo I was so frustrated by it and trying to like look up and sing and like not look down too much and I was just so overwhelmed I was like I'm not good and it's such a silly thing right but I think there's little things that come up along the way like I remember the first time I you know played on the street I didn't have an attachment for my mic to the microphone stand so I had to duct tape it and then when I did duct tape it it was so windy you know that there was all this it was was it just like feedback you know and everyone is looking at you and you're so embarrassed because you're trying to be taken seriously and you want to be a professional musician and everyone is just like you should probably be embarrassed for yourself right now and you're trying to cover your face and you're like I am but also I'm trying to run sound for myself and sing songs that I've never said you know this is like my first real gig ever but I feel like all of those things you know you take them and they make you stronger. And then you get to the point where you're like, oh, my guitar is out. Oh, whatever. And then you have your checklist, right? You're like, oh, is there a cable out on my pedal board? Am I actually turned on? Am I plugged in? Seems simple. Sometimes it's not. Well, you, you know? said there's a kill switch on that guitar, there right? Is, a kill switch on is guitar. it because of in case your pickup dies? <laughs> It's actually just because I've always wanted a guitar with a kill switch, okay, but okay. that's really funny. Yeah, <laughs> it could that could also help. Yeah, with yeah, yeah. I was just I was just curious about that. Yeah. Um, what is your songwriting process? So my songwriting process, I have been writing songs since I was eight years old. I actually started on piano before I did guitar. Playing Disney songs. And playing, actually, just writing songs. So my piano teacher was a clown like by day and this was just his extra job 
And so he was a great teacher, but not necessarily, you know, the world's most proficient musician. So my assignments were not scales like probably you would normally get or chords. My assignment was just always to go home and write a song, you know, as a kid. That's very artistic so, for that age. It's very artistic, right? Like artistic guidance. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I just wrote these like instrumental songs and my mom says that they were very um, emo and dark. <laughs> and, uh, and she was like, but you know, you seemed really happy. So that was a good thing. And then I also, I've kept a diary since I was four years old. So in middle school, I started combining, you know, when I started actually learning chords on guitar and on piano too, I started actually, you know, putting my thoughts in my diary, kind of the poetry to the chords and combining those two things. And I feel like the process has been the same for me ever since, other than obviously in co-writing, when you're writing with different people, um, it really just depends on the day and who you're getting, because sometimes it's your story and something that happened in your life you know sometimes it's something that happened to someone else what's going Mm -hmm. on with them you know sometimes you especially I think being in the guitarist like a lot of times I've been pulled in to write specifically to write music to write guitar riffs to write melodies you know and there's been someone else who's really a Nashville 16th Avenue you know music bro writer who there are some Nashville songwriters who are just amazing at those those twists and turns and flipping words and you know all of the wasted on you wasted my time on you getting wasted how many ways can we use this word Mm -hmm. you know so I've definitely been the music person in the room a lot but whenever it's my own stuff I love writing lyrics too because I just love I love reading books and I love watching shows um, about people who are going through life stuff, life trauma, whether it's struggles with a relationship or with, you know, job or family or whatever mm-hmm. else. I think like I'm just empathetic and I relate to so much of it and, you know, so many things. I'm like, yes, I know what that is. Like, let me write about that. So, yeah, it's uh, I write a lot of songs on my own at midnight when it's dark. <laughs> That's my favorite time to write. What have you been watching lately? Ooh, for TV shows? Yeah. Um, gosh, I feel like all of my shows have been ending. So I really like this show called The Other Two on HBO, which I feel like no one has heard of, but it's like... I've never heard of it. Yeah, it's like the funniest comedy ever. Like, it's so, so, so funny. Um, And then there's... There's no way you're going to watch this, but all the other girls I'm sure do. It's called The Summer I Turned Pretty. So it's actually a book. I read okay. it before that. It's on Amazon Prime. Anyway, uh, lots of other girls are like, it's very much a a young romance about this girl who, you know, goes to the beach every summer and, you know, falls in love with these two boys and there's drama between the two of them. And, but again, a lot of, a lot of life stuff, a lot of, you know, the mom has cancer and is dealing with that and different family relationships and love relationships and, you know, the full spectrum of life. Have you watched Barry before? Um, yes, I have. How far did you get? Did you enjoy it? Not that far. It was a little dark for me. Uh-huh. I I usually, like I said, unless it's like science fiction fantasy, like The Witcher or something that's more like Witcher or Game of Thrones, like in that field. Or yeah. I even really liked, um, is it called Silo? What's the one on Apple? That everyone. I'm not sure. Okay, not into the sci- not into the sci-fi world. It's one of their new ones. I'm pretty sure it's called Silo. They all live underground, and it's a whole. 
sci-fi. But yeah, unless it's that, I'm usually like a little bit less. There's a great sci-fi movie that's coming out later this year. It mm-hmm. looks like a great sci-fi okay. movie. Yeah. It's called The Creator. Okay. Have you seen a trailer for it yet? I haven't, no. Uh, so it, um, it seems like the premise is, do you know who the actor John David Washington is? No. He was in Tenet. He was the main character okay. in Tenet, the okay. Christopher Nolan movie. Okay. Um, and uh, it seems like he, there's like this child like AI that was made that he's kind of rescuing or doing something with or delivering to someone. And it's basically, there's like an AI army. It seems like Terminator on steroids, but it's, it looks great. If you're into sci-fi, I would say, check out, check out the trailer. I do like sci-fi and I, I'm not much into the whole dragon kind of realm. (laughs) I've never okay. been into the the fantasy element. Yeah. I did like Lord of the Rings when I was a kid, but yeah. the movies are are so fucking long. Um, and I recently, within the past year, watched the Hobbit movies that came out. Okay, and I really enjoyed those. Okay. I enjoyed the Hobbit movies, okay. but I loved that cartoon when I was a little kid. Okay, I used to steal all my sister's shit, yeah. and hide it and pretend I was Gollum when I was a little That's kid. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I see, I was just and... always a big fan of Tolkien's writing. So for me, it's always, you know, drawn me in when I love the style, love an author. It's the same thing with a songwriter, right? It's like I've always loved Neil Gaiman's writing. He was really influenced by Tolkien, too. Like a lot of people mm-hmm. were, you know, it's like Bob Dylan has a different style of writing than, say, Kurt Cobain, right? Definitely. Then Absolutely. Taylor Swift, then Lady Gaga or Katy Perry, then Metallica. You know, it's the same thing with songwriters as it is with authors. You know, yeah. it's really cool how I think when you write a lot, you find your voice, you know, yeah. something that makes you truly you. Absolutely. And, you know, different people connect with different things, right? For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think um, anytime you have an artistic pursuit, you start out trying to uh, to mimic whatever it is that yeah, you like, absolutely. and then through mimicking this and mimicking that, and then taking a little bit of this and a little bit of that, eventually you become you. Yeah. And I think it's a combination of those influences with your unique life experience that mm-hmm. make you who you are as an artist. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. I think that's, you know, you talked about the 10,000 hours before. I definitely think that's where it comes in. You know, the more hours you put into your own art, your own craft, whether it's playing guitar, writing songs, singing, you know, recording, all of the above. I think the more you find, you know, what you want to say, how you want to say it, and you won't be able to help it. You know, there's certain patterns that we all have, you know, certain things that we gravitate to. But I don't think you can find it if you don't put in those hours. No. You know, I think that's. Really well, I happens. think when you're you're young, too, you see the glitz and the glamour, at least I did, yeah. of like the rock band on stage. Again, it goes yeah. back to that 15 year old dream. It's like you yeah. want to play Madison Square Garden. Yeah. Um. But it's like over time, like, don't get me wrong if I ever got the opportunity to do those things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. But like, I also feel like now as I continue to grow as both an artist and a person, you grow creatively. And it's the same things that I liked, you know, five years ago. I still like them, but you go through these changes at a person. I just feel like it mimics where you are 
yeah. artistically in a lot of ways. Absolutely. You know? No, that's so, so true. And it's funny that you say that. So I grew up, I went to a school that was an art school and we weren't allowed to watch television or have computers. We made our own textbooks. We did a lot of music. We did gardening. We did sculpture. We did oil painting. You know, we did all, all sorts of creative endeavors. And so it's funny that you say that because I actually didn't, know the glitz and glamour of a rock band or big shows because especially you know the only concerts that I went to were classical shows and those were very very tiny theaters not even big theaters just really really little maybe 200 seat like an auditorium 100 yeah. yeah very small and so not that it wasn't cool but we were always there just for the music like there there's no glamour of that lifestyle of classical right? music it's, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's get, just it's not saying. the same with the sparkles and the outfit changes and stalkers and fans yeah. and, you know it's a different world it's truly you know people are there because they love the music and they respect the talent and it's not that those people aren't famous. It's just a, a little bit of a different lifestyle than, you know, Elvis or Taylor Swift now. Sure. And so it's funny because I started writing songs not ever to become famous. I actually didn't even know that you could be a songwriter, which is weird because I was listening to music, but I didn't know it was like technically a job. Yeah. Even though, you know, I was like, wait, I know these bands write their songs, but I never thought of it in those terms. But I started writing songs because I'm an introvert. I'm very, very shy. And I did not know how to express my feelings to anyone. And so it was a big like outlet for me. Just in high school, I was very unpopular. I had no friends. <laughs> you know, it was like all of my crushes were unrequited <laughs> you know one time I sent a candy gram on Valentine's Day because my friends made me it was a joke and they're like no no do it you know it's anonymous I'll never know that it's you right and I did it my friend was in his homeroom and so she told him you know he wouldn't have known because like who is this from and she told him it was from me and so then she told me that the whole class laughed when they heard it was from me oh, you know and oh, so yeah. you go through all these experiences you know just constantly getting rejected and you're like well, I guess I can write a song about it. But, you know, that's the cool thing is we can transmute the pain and you can turn it into something else. And it's so interesting because you can write a song that's sad and maybe you're crying or maybe you're angry when you write it. And then it's so interesting. It's like through playing that you become happier. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like whatever the mood is, it's almost like it cleanses it from your system. You know, it's like getting it out. So that's always what I loved about songwriting. I was like, this is a totally free space where I can say anything I want to anyone and you can edit it till it's exactly what you want to say, you know, cause I was always just way too scared to, I never had the courage to tell anyone what I actually thought in person. You know, I could never say I like you except obviously anonymously, which didn't work out so well, you know, I feel like I had the opposite problem. Too many girls liked you. No, 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 I, I never, um, I would always take these big, uh, big swings yeah. and strike out. Uh, so I, I I dealt with a lot of rejection too, but it was uh it was not for a lack of trying. Did you write them a song ever? Uh oh yeah, absolutely. When I was in high school for sure. That's like, amazing. Now like it's it's funny to think now because like I really don't write and there's nothing wrong with this. Yeah. But now I don't really write songs about love or romance really anymore. Like Is there a reason? I I think part of it is creatively where I am. Okay. Like, 
I think I, I, I spent, don't get me wrong, I spent a lot of time writing songs like that, yeah. for sure, yeah, yeah. especially through my early 20s yeah. and mid-20s. Yeah. But now, like, I, I think I like looking at things from a weirder perspective um, or a different perspective. Like, there's this song that I have that's from, like, a perspective of a school shooter. I have another song from a perspective of a guy who's in love with this OnlyFans girl. And it's really dark. Yeah. The, like the song. That's like still love though, by the way. It's not love. Not what, what is he it? not what he's singing is about. Is he a stalker? Uh, I mean Is it just love? We could we could go we could go into it because okay. I I feel like I have a lot of opinions on this. I'm just I, curious if it's not love. I think it's, it's infatuation? It's well, yes, but okay. in a, I think in a sickly way. I don't think it's and I, I, I do not like like look down upon any women who don't only fans yeah, yeah. at all like or anything like that people have the right to do whatever they want if they don't have to have a job and they can just show their feet on the internet fuck working for the man yeah. show your feet yeah. i wish i could show my feet yeah honestly and yeah. get paid for it yeah no one wants to see my feet though yeah. but um you don't know that yeah danny's Until right Until you put him out there you so, know so so danny's also kind of my manager true. so well i don't do wear sandals ever no, I don't. That's I don't really show my feet. So you literally haven't put them out there. That's no. what I mean. Yeah, yeah, someone might. Hey, you know, you know what? This is giving me the idea. It's summer. Maybe I could you actually know do that, it. Right? Yeah, it's like yeah. ninety degrees. If you're I listening, mean... then you know, tell Taylor whether you want to yeah. see his feet or not. Yeah. Five hundred dollars, and I will show my feet. I will send you feet pics. Five hundred dollars. Yeah. That's your asking price. That one hundred percent. They've never been shown before. I mean, hey, supply and demand. Supply and demand. But that's enough for for that tangent. Okay. Uh, so the OnlyFans. So the the OnlyFans song, I feel like it's from the perspective of. So I'll, I'll give you a little backstory. Okay. So I have this buddy that I went to high school with. Okay. That I'm really good friends with. We're, he's my best friend to this day. Okay. But there, I won't name him. He <laughs> knows like, who I he is. Wait. But there was this girl that we went to high school with that he always had a crush on and she had an OnlyFans. Yes. Okay. So it was like he was finally, you know, he was able to do something that he was never able to do in high school. So it's like this really, I don't know. I don't know how to, to really describe this song. Okay. Other than I just, it's a fucked up situation, I think. Well, but I just want to point out if he liked her in high school, that was before the OnlyFans. Yeah, but that has nothing to do with it. So it's not that having like any kind of view yeah. or change. You know the song um, "Angel in the Centerfold" by Jay Gottlieb's yeah. band. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like that. Okay, it's similar to that. Yeah, that's what I would say. Okay, but yes, I try and write things that are a little bit stranger now. Okay. Um, Pumped Up Kicks is a great song, though. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Well, it's like, I I think the the one particular song that I wrote about the topic of like school shootings yeah. from the perspective of a school shooter, it's it's fucking ugly. You know, mm -hmm. I I think that we all have again going back to earlier in the conversation, we yeah. all have a dark, a dark side and a light light side. Yeah. We all have the capacity for evil, mm -hmm. and we have to either. You have it in you or you don't, I think, to do something horrendous. You can do something horrendous on accident. Mm -hmm. Like you can accidentally run someone over or 
you could get drunk and run someone over or you could purposely try and like drive your car into a crowd of people um but we all have the capacity for those evil things as human beings Mm -hmm. um and i think that is what's interesting to me is the range that humans have we all have emotions right and like i was saying before i think that's just one of the things that i love about guitar and songwriting and music is you know you can just be having a terrible day and you can be angry it doesn't have to be you know the point of you know running anyone over or actually physically harming someone but you can just be however angry you are and i feel like music really lets it all out like it is a safe place to vent you know where it just it just at least for me it's just always made me feel better and like I said I never got really into metal music but I loved rock in high school because I just felt like such an outcast and I felt both sad and angry not enough ever to hurt anyone but I just felt angry and I didn't really know why you know just felt like a misfit and I feel like rock music and listening to rock radio and you know rock on spotify or youtube or streaming whatever you know i just felt like it gave me a home and it felt like other people felt like i did too and somehow it makes you feel better you know and it's almost like angry but in a good way and so i feel like that's that's just the positivity that music can really bring the world because i think otherwise what do you do with those emotions right because life is crazy Life is long. Hopefully, you know, if you're lucky, if you're lucky, life is long and it can bring, you know, like we've covered lots of different things, lots of different struggles, you know, not just creatively, creatively, you know, being in different periods, but just people in their lives, you know, wherever they're at. And so I feel like, yeah, you know, music is just one way I mean, I guess any kind of art, right? Mm-hmm. Pottery, perhaps. Absolutely. Uh, yoga. There's many know, different athletics. mediums. Many different mediums, but I think all of those things, it would be great if we just had more of that in the world. And that's why I feel like, you know, I know social media, people have varying opinions about it, but I have been so honored every time someone has said, hey, you've inspired me to pick up my guitar and play again or pick up my guitar and, you know, learn how to play because I wanted to and I haven't because, like I said, I just think the music is something that we could all use more of, you know? Well, I think in in some ways, I don't know if you maybe necessarily see yourself as this, but you're a role model for young girls, you know, Mm -hmm. who want to play music. Like you've kind of started going viral a little bit online, Mm -hmm. on TikTok, Mm -hmm. all of that. What do you think about something like that where you might have these young girls who feel like they don't necessarily like, oh, I can't do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I I feel very blessed to be in the situation that I'm in. And when I started making videos online, I never thought anyone would watch them. And in fact, no one did at first. It was a struggle for me to even get a hundred, you know, Believe views. me, I understand. Yeah, I was going to say, I think anyone who's ever posted, <laughs> you know, so for years I posted videos just into nothing. But like I said, I love guitar so much and I really, I was never going for likes or for followers. Uh-huh. So, you know, of course, sometimes it hurts your ego when you put something up and like, well, is it because I'm bad or because I'm ugly or both or, you know, whatever it, it feels but like both whatever it, it something, can feel yeah. like it can feel like a personal attack yeah. even, even though it's not you know there's just there's a lot of content there's a lot of saturation out there 
Um, but you know, when I first started posting videos and they went viral, it was really cool. Cause I just wanted to learn the top 100 guitar solos of all time. That was like my quarantine project. I was like, wow, I finally, you know, I'm not playing. I had some festival gigs booked, but of course they got canceled. The whole world went under. And I thought, well, if I can't leave the house and I'm playing guitar, let me learn some of these solos that I always wanted to learn, but I was too scared to, cause they were, you know, too hard. And I tried before and I couldn't. And, you know, so I started taking guitar lessons again with my teacher Reggie Wooten and he's been absolutely amazing and you know so encouraging and and I started learning these songs and yeah it's been really cool I get a lot of you know emails and messages um, from parents who say hey you know I watch your your videos with my daughter or with my my grandkids or whatever because there really haven't been a ton of female guitarists, yeah. you know, before this. I love Orianthe. You know, I'm a huge fan of Orianthe. Uh, Bonnie Ray, amazing slide player. You know, Jennifer Batten, obviously, also all of Michael Jackson's. He just really knew how to pick the guitar players, yeah. you know. So those were some of my idols. But for the most part, whenever you asked me, it was there was about a million men to pick from. You know, it's Van Halen and Slash and Jimmy Page. I mean, literally Eric Clapton, John Mayer. The, we could spend like yeah. a day yeah. just name, and that would just be the really famous ones, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. That's just you know, look at the top 100 guitar solos of all time. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I think it's really cool. I feel like across all industries, I actually record my stuff too, and I produce stuff too, and that's another area. You just where had a single come out. Not, I did. It's called. Call Goodbye. Yeah, that was a really fun one. I actually co-wrote that with two of my friends here in Nashville, Chris Burgeness and Kelby Dober. And Kelby helped me um, produce it. And um, yeah, so that was a really fun project. And I've been writing and recording a ton. And so I feel like, again, when I was in school when I was at Musicians Institute. I remember sometimes I would try these really stretchy chords or these Hendrix things, you know, putting my thumb around the neck. And I thought, oh, wow, this is so hard. I don't know if I can do it. Oh, I'm struggling. And then the cool thing was to look around me and see all of the guys struggling with it, too. And I was like, wait a second. This isn't because I have had so many people, you know, in the past come up to me and say, you'll never be fast because you're a girl. You'll never have the hand strength because you're a girl. You know, you're the specific gender specific yeah. thing all the time. You know, when I was playing in L.A., they would say, you'll, you'll never be anything because you're a girl. But like I said, being in class, I was like, wait. The guys are struggling with the same things that I'm struggling. You know, sure, some have big hands, but some have small hands. You know, there's all kinds of kinds, yeah. and no one is telling that to men. And so I think that's a, just a cool thing is I would absolutely love to be that for women, you know, to just show them, hey, it's, you know, it's not about your hand size. It's not about gender. You know, anyone can play music. Yeah, absolutely. Where can people find you at? Um, gosh, all over on the internet. So I'm on Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, YouTube, anywhere you can stream music. And then my socials are all at Dominique, like my name, D-O-M-I-N-I-Q-U-E, guitar. So that's on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube. Okay. Places. Awesome. Well, hey, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. You're welcome. Keep on dreaming. See you next week.